and I have to unfortunately I'm going to have to cut all of this out in case someone arrests Liz uh, which is always awkward Hello everyone and welcome to the 40th episode of the Octothought podcast which is coming to you on the 16th of September 2021. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have three letters of comment. Um, also, definitely planning to keep that pause in the final edit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Just to illustrate lack of caffeine on the on the part of one co-host. Um, so we are recording earlier than normal today because um, John is off doing actual things in the real world. So yesterday everyone was like, can you record at nine? And I was like, absolutely, I'll be wide awake and full of beans at nine o'clock. And this turned out not to be the case. I mean, I, I was I was sceptical. <laughs> so... We got some letters and tweets of comments, and um, one of the first tweets of comment we got was from Bridget Bradshaw, who proposes that a Garcia is a billion units of exuberance, and thus a milli Garcia is a million units, and a killer Garcia... I just don't want to see a killer Garcia. That seems like a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> very exuberant and very dangerous. <laughs> and also, uh, Bug is hungry for tray bake. Well, now I'm hungry for tray bakes again. So you're hungry for tray bakes? Yeah. I could go for I could go for some fridge cake. Um, to be fair, I've, I've had I've had a very nice frangipan tart. So I'm not really hungry for tray bakes. You're a very nice frangipan tart. <laughs> <laughs> Did we not get a whole pile of letters about the tray bake nature of? 15s? Uh, no, literally no one commented on that, so apparently we nailed it. Thanks, listeners. Thanks for thanks for approving of our take on 15s. Or maybe we just don't have very many listeners. <laughs> if, if, if you disapprove of our take on 15s, please write in. Even if you're listening to this episode, like, months later, please still write in. Uh, we feed on your approval and disapproval and basically interaction. Shouldn't that be... We feed upon your approval and disapproval. As speaking of Arkham Horror... <laughs> Mark Plummer wrote in saying, Sorry for the silence from these parts. I'm several episodes behind now and I've decided to skip ahead to the current one. We encourage people to do that if they get behind. Please don't let Octothought become a source of stress in your life unless you're Anison, in which case uh, it's basically unavoidable. Mark does say that he got behind with his listening because he's been struggling to get to grips with the latest version of Arkham Horror. And I know what Mark means because I picked up the latest version of Arkham Horror yesterday from my friendly local game shop and uh, it's got a lot of cards in it and I, I really did have to take my time to sit down and, and properly digest them all. So I'm right there with you, Mark. I did like the sled dogs, though. Big up to them. Is there a new, sorry, is there a new version of Arkham Horror? Well, there's a new pack that came out, like, on Friday. It's very good. I like it. Oh, I see. But there are new packs that come out every Friday. Isn't that how they get you? No, they've actually moved distribution models, so they're only releasing about two packs a year now. I was getting it confused with Eldritch Horror. Oh, Eldritch Horror. 
there was an advert for Eldritch Horror on the back of the booklet that came in my new Arkham Horror card. Is this the time to talk about how I'm grinding legend in Hearthstone? It's a family show, Alison. I just want to say that I got to the very top of um, level one and had a game where if I'd won the game, I would have got legend on three separate occasions yesterday and I lost all of those games. And now I'm back at level four and I'm very, 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 very pissed off. Good time for a podcast. Yeah. Mark was surprised by the hardline nature of the discom policy, but he does see a logic to it. Um, because it does, but he does, he does sort of agree with Alison that it does mean some parts of the community are effectively barred from the Worldcon. Um, but he says that he thinks the counter to that is that we're obviously still in exceptional circumstances. Um, and he thinks that it's good for events like this to have a clear and unambiguous policy lines as it makes it easier for the convention staff who have to deal with the policy on the day. And it kind of, um, but he says, while I understand the policy it does feel like a recipe for no fun. And I, I think I think that kind of we had that discussion last episode. I think that's kind of where we ended up coming down, where we we understand why. But yeah, yeah, I think I think fundamentally, I I I do think that conventions will feel slightly less fun for a while, while there is the whole masking and vaccination, as indeed like all events at the moment feel slightly like oh, maybe it's just me. Oh, but we we had fun last weekend and it felt like majestic fun because we haven't had enough fun recently. So even small amounts of fun feel fantastic. So I'm not I I think objectively people will probably have just as much fun as they always did. They will have an amount of fun which is as much higher as the background level of fun as usual. It's just that we've adjusted the background level of fun. Right in with your... um explanations of how fun scales work and whether they're a logarithmic or a linear scale and appropriate <laughs> measurements of fun we could definitely go there now now i'm a bit sad that we've already assigned the garcia as a unit of exuberance because we really could have tied these two things together if we'd known we were going to say them exuberance and fun are not the same thing john i could understand that you might, from your point of view, see it that way. I know. That was literally the point I was making, was that it was a shame we couldn't use the Garcia for units of fun. So I I already made that clear in my, in my statements. Okay, so readers, what is the SI unit for fun? Do please tell us. Um, I believe it's Newtons per metre squared. I'm, I'm sure that's not fun. <laughs> I'm not... Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, I feel old now. Mark also says he's been looking at the Discon membership numbers, which is excellent. He thinks that they've had about 900 people joining as attending memberships since last November. Um, But he notes that there's only about 280 virtual members and there are about 2,000 supporters. And he's wondering why more supporters haven't paid the relatively small extra amount for virtual access. And I am one of these people because I haven't got around to it yet. So I should probably do that because he says... It could just be down to, as we've talked about before, the general tendency to join virtual conventions late because there's no need for the attendee to plan their attendance. But he wonders whether Discon is going to know how many virtual members they're going to need to cater for. And that, that's an interesting problem I hadn't thought of. Uh, so, yeah, um, I don't know how that's all going to shake out. I think a significant proportion... I mean, I think, actually, we do have walking stick curves for... You know, we have membership curves for virtual conventions now. Discon could reach out to other virtual conventions and get a pretty good idea of of how that's going to work. 
uh, my guess would be that they'll have double the number of members they have a week before the convention starts. And that's just that's what they should plan for. My 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 estimate would be given they've got 280 now, they're looking at at least 600. But that is assuming the punctuation curve applies to a Worldcon. And I have no idea if it does. But it seems like the best guess you could make at the moment. I mean, I can't remember whether... Was it contested bidding for 2021? I cannot remember at all. But, I mean, a lot of those sporting members might be people who voted at Dublin, but then absolutely cannot go because they cannot get to the US. And also not really interested in a virtual membership because of time zones. So you could have a lot of people in that situation. I mean, I've signed up for a virtual membership, but I don't know how much I'll actually get to watch. That's an interesting point, Liz. But in fact, DC was unopposed at Ireland, uh, as is uh, mentioned on the excellent website worldcon.org by first-time caller Kevin Stanley. Yeah, but lots of people vote. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on here. I think Worldcon has thousands of supporting members, probably somewhere between one and 2,000, who are people who never go to a Worldcon or might go to a Worldcon if it's in a city very close to them, but would not otherwise go to a Worldcon, but who are readers and who are essentially supporting now to be part of the voting community. Now, we don't know necessarily whether that's something that's good or bad, but I think it is out there. People do buy memberships just so they can read the stuff in the voter packet. I think also, did you say they've got 2,800 attending members. I think Mark's bringing facts into this conversation, which is quite strange. <laughs> so Mark, Mark, Mark said that there were um, 2,500 attending members, of which 900 have joined in about the last year. Yes, I think those 2,500 attending members, I think quite a lot of them will not attend, but will not ask for refunds because of the whole community support thing. So they could downgrade to virtual. I think there's probably a limit for when they have to have done that by. You could downgrade to supporting member by the end of August. Uh, you can still downgrade to virtual membership until uh, the beginning of December. Yeah, so I, I think that there will be people who are still watching and waiting and considering whether they might go. And there will also be people who are definitely not going to attend, but either don't get round to downgrading or who downgrade at the last minute because you know it's the last minute that's when you do things isn't it so so i think quite a lot of their virtual members will already be attending members and so they're probably i assume they're accounting for all of that stuff um i think it's easier to scale up a virtual convention at the last minute than to scale up a well it depends how complicated your tech stack is you'd hope yeah, I don't know how easy it is to scale up a hybrid convention, but I don't think they're doing proper hybrid. They're doing two conventions, one of which is in-person and one of which is virtual, rather than doing a single convention, which is hybrid, right? What is the distinction between those, John? I think I am right in saying, and I might be wrong, but I got the impression that virtual attendees would not necessarily be able to watch panels which were happening in D.C., they would be able to watch panels which were being put on virtually by DC. And so I think the distinction between a hybrid and a hybrid convention and a physical and virtual convention happening at the same time is that virtual members will not be able to interact with the physical convention, is my belief. I could be wrong there. Write in if I'm wrong, listeners, because I might be. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be purely virtual things happening that presumably will be streamed somewhere in the convention as well, or if it's actually going to be streaming of certain streams from Discon. I would, my suspicion is it's going to be a mix of both, because then you get to include people that can't be there in person. Um, I don't know if you're going to have, say, online panels with online participants which are streamed 
to the physical location or even the most difficult thing panels which are part online and part in person mixed together um i don't think we know actually i'd also like to give respect to mark Plummer for managing to find the membership numbers on the discon site because i cannot do that i'm very impressed mark Plummer regularly impresses me i should make that into a ribbon often impressed by mark Plummer. mark might not enjoy that he might i won't do it if you don't want me to mark so I am going to say I have to give a factual update to something I said earlier. I said I was only a supporting member, but I have on the very podcast upgraded to a virtual membership for the princely sum of 25 US dollars. See how easy it is to do. Do it now. I'd like there to be lots of people at Virtual Discon, though. Because it is the weekend before Christmas, I'm not 100% certain how much time I'm going to be able to give it. Christmas involves a lot of, you know faffing about and i'm normally pretty busy the weekend before christmas so you know i think i feel like that'll be a thing well done for posing a direct question to mark on this podcast so that he is forced to send us a letter of comment even if he hasn't caught up on the previous episodes we should get we could scan the ip addresses of all of our regular listeners (laughs) and then write questions to all of them for next week's questions to octothought podcast where we ask each of you a direct question tailored to your needs and abilities can we do that i i don't think we should do that i would like to say i'm not sure we know the ip addresses of all of our listeners uh and listeners if you're currently panicking that we do i'm pretty sure we don't i've been watching mythic quest and apparently that's an easy thing to find out yeah i'm not sure mythic quest is 100 percent factually accurate but i think maybe we'll get to that later on well, and also in Mythic Quest, they're not using a podcast. They're not using a podcasting platform that they haven't built, which is another key differentiator. Uh, but yes, and also Mark finishes by saying that he thinks conversation is the most Caroline Mullen convention name imaginable, uh, and I don't know what that means, but I'm happy that he thinks it. I do know what he means. How well do you know Caroline, John? Not very. There you go, then. Chris Garcia wrote in to tell us that he is only giving his letter of comment 0.36 Garcias, um, which um, is uh, 360 million units of exuberance. Oh, I've just understood Bug's tweet. <laughs> the one you read out 20 minutes she's ago. Not, she's not proposing the Garcia is a unit of exuberance. She's proposing that the Arcia is a unit of exuberance and therefore a Garcia is a Giga Arcia. I had not appreciated that. So I so yes, so 0.36 Garcia is only 0. Point, is 0.36 Giga Arcias, which is 360 million Arcias. So that's quite a lot of exuberance. But does does Chris giving us 0.36 Garcias mean that he's only giving us like 36% of his regular levels of enthusiasm? Or I don't know. Well, I'll tell you, I'm only giving you 36% of my regular levels of enthusiasm. <laughs> I offered multiple times to podcast at a different time for Alison's benefits. And I was like, no, 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 I'll drink some pints of coffee. It'll be fine. I am fine. I am fine. I am so fine. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely at least a bit, what was it? At least a bit arsier. <laughs> you're so fine. You're now making jokes about it. We understand. Oh, I've just worked out the Briarly. A Briarly is the unit of how many coffees you need in the morning before you're awake, measured in pints. And that is very, I think, very in keeping with Claire's approach to coffee. Because uh, I've seen her caffeinate and she takes it seriously. 
I believe my normal level is 0.36 Briarlies. <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised you're still alive because that is a large amount of coffee. So Chris um, says that losing Earl um, was a massive uh, bummer and kind of expresses some reminiscence about that. And yeah, I can imagine like obviously if a friend of yours goes, then that is always going to be a huge hardship. And uh, sorry, sorry, sorry about that, Chris. Um, But he also writes in about COVID policies and he says it's he thinks it's illegal to require negative testing for attendees. He's basically saying that you can't do negative testing. and You can't do exemptions because of US privacy laws. And I am curious about that. I don't know much about US law. There'll be a lot of, there's also going to be a lot of state and local jurisdictions. It seems very likely that um, DC took advice on what was possible in in the place they're planning to hold the convention and use that to inform their policy. And he also says he went to a historian's convention, uh, which was done in a hybrid model where everyone wore clear masks, but all of the masks were miked. So if you wore them, it miked your voice underneath the mask and that is magic and we did not consider that as an option last time but that is like the idea that you might have but then i guess you'd have to have a mask per attendee because i can't imagine that's cheap but that is that is clever uh it's definitely clever or or, or a sanitation sanitation system that works for those for those mics if we have a sound engineer in the um in the audience please please let us know your thoughts on miking under the mask and incidentally miking under the mask is the name of our new um reality tv show and our superhero expose i would also note that chris says they sent mini bottles of scotch to all attendees which is maybe an excellent tradition for hybrid conventions i do quite like that when we did a leaving party at work my boss got tiny bottles of champagne sent to everyone for the leaving party and that did feel much more like a leaving party than other zoom leaving parties i have been to where i did not have a tiny bottle of champagne i say champagne uh prosecco fizz phil dyson tweets at us to say that he thinks the greatest high school movie ever is heather's which i have not heard about but we will put a link in the show notes (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ on a stick Alison is laughing quite a lot and I'm in, I'm assuming that there's something happening here that I don't know about no 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 you, you've not heard of Heathers no oh my god oh my god I understand that people are young but <laughs> oh my god how can you not have heard of Heathers Liz am I is this have you heard of Feathers am I yes. am I sorry Heathers Ah, fair enough. Yeah, I, I think I think you are actually an outlier for people, even people of your age, but I might be wrong about that. So, yeah, no, Heathers is an extremely influential movie. If you have any interest in the history of, um, I guess, outcast culture, um, I think I think Heathers is quite an important movie and it's also very good. And yeah. And it's kind of of its time a bit. It it doesn't necessarily hold up as well as it did when it was new. But yeah, maybe the greatest high, high school movie. It's a real counterpoint to a lot of the other things that were around at the time. Um, because, yeah, because it's different. No, it's a great movie. Yeah, and it, it's a, something that often comes up on those lists of the best high school movies uh, ever. But I mean, John, have you heard of things like, you know, The Breakfast Club and, and Sixteen Candles and that kind of thing? Because it feels like it's of a, a contemporary of those. I've seen The Breakfast Club mm-hmm. and I've heard of Sixteen Candles and I've watched 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which looking at the date was like about four years before. Um, so like, I think I'm familiar with other films that were in that wave. I just haven't heard of this particular. Yes. Um, but looking at the cast, I think there is probably an argument that I really should have done. Cause... I don't, 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 just don't, don't, don't read anything else about it. In fact, don't even look at the pack cover. Oh, no, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> I read the, 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 there's a blurb and it tells you like. He's, he went to Wikipedia 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Don't read a synopsis. Just watch the film. It'll be good for you. You like you like movies. You've been watching great movies. This is a movie that you should definitely have watched if you have any interest in. Heather's is a film that is very much in your wheelhouse. You'll appreciate it. From the synopsis, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very, very surprised to discover that, that you do not you have not already seen Heather's. Um, go, go is a Spaniard around? Yeah, I text her. Yeah, go go back, go go and ask a Spanish. Say. Alison is surprised that I've never seen Heather. Should, should I? Should she be? The typing you can hear, listeners, is me texting my wife to uh, to ask her this question. Well, while you're doing so, I would like to say that um, while Heather's is great, if we are allowed to count it as a high school movie, I would like to put forth the proposition that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is the best high school film. Uh, it's a stoner movie. Is that a high school movie? I feel like most of it doesn't take place in a high school. I may be not remembering... But then again, Ferris Bueller's Day Off almost entirely doesn't take place. Yeah, no, that's right. So something like, I mean, there's a sense in which Gross Point Blank. I've heard of that, but I haven't seen it. It's a great high school movie. Right in, listeners. What's your favourite? Readers, what's the best high school movie? Yup. Anyway, and then we have one final lock. So Roman thoroughly enjoyed episode 38 and liked the surf sound and the pleasant chat around the table and notes there was no problem with sound balance despite the warnings but added a little note to me saying that there's a wonderful tool called the levelator um which uh, is very good i'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who is making podcasts good tool to have in your arsenal and indeed i did level the sound so a secret um and also um he notes uh, while Celsius may be foreign to the Americans, the rest of us have no real problem with it. Of course, you could meet at Denali, Alaska, which is also called Mount McKinley, where the average temperature is apparently minus 40 degrees, and therefore there's no argument about Fahrenheit or Celsius. But there might be an argument about whether or not it was a sensible place to go, given how bloody cold it is. Yes. No. I mean, the arguments we have at the moment is me and Alison saying, all oh, 21's a bit hot, and Liz being like, no, it isn't. Uh, so, but I think we would all agree minus 40 was quite chilly. One member of our podcast voluntarily lives in Thailand and the other two don't. I would just like to say that every minute we record this podcast is a minute that I'm not in the swimming pool. So, you know, there's upsides. So Liz did send a lovely photo of her summer office, which had sky and plants and sunshine and palm trees. A very relaxed feeling to it. And it did look very good. Last week, we didn't go into any detail about the NHS COVID pass, which is a thing that the NHS offers through the NHS app. And that's not the NHS COVID app. That is the um, central NHS app instead. In order to get an NHS COVID pass, you have to have had a full vaccination with a covid vaccine used in the uk uh, and you can get um the past two weeks after your second dose 
you can get a pass if you've had a negative PCR or rapid lateral flow test within the last 48 hours and you can get to the pass as soon as you have your result and you can get one if you've had a positive PCR test within the last six months and you can get the pass after you've finished self-isolating and up to 180 days after the test and it notes that none of these are things you can do in the Isle of Man so conventions and attendees for conventions from the Isle of Man should take all this with a large pinch of salt. And I believe Scotland, you use the NHS Inform app, and then in Northern Ireland, you use the NOI Direct app, and they may have different stuff. But um, that does mean that if you're a convention and you're thinking, how can we um, offer a way of making sure that our convention attendees are less likely to have COVID than they might otherwise be, the NHS COVID pass is a good way of doing that, that um, incorporates people who are vaccinated, but also provides options for people who cannot get vaccinated for different reasons. And basically just means you have a thing on your phone that you wave and it handles all of the things you just have to look and be like, yes, that is the NHS COVID pass. We are happy. Hurrah. Which takes a lot of the um, deciding what counts as proof part out of your convention planning and is something that convention runners possibly should look at as a good thing to do this sort of stuff i'm going to put a link in the show notes and the stuff i said about northern ireland scotland is at the bottom of the page that i have linked also in terms of feedback from our last episode in the uk eastercon group on facebook which we recommend if you like that sort of thing fran dowd said there's a very good discussion about conventions, COVID policies and the latest Octothorpe. Thank you, Fran. And Nick Whitehead responded to say that's very useful because we're currently discussing this for BristolCon, which is one of the conventions we mentioned last time as not having announced their policy. So thank you, Nick. Thank you, Fran. And BristolCon, I did email in between the two episodes to ask whether they had a policy and their policy is very much, um, we would really appreciate it if you could wear a mask and not have COVID, um, which is, um, I think, a good place to start from. Um, but I would I would encourage conventions to look at the NHS COVID pass because I think that does more than just politely asking attendees not to have COVID. Um, uh, obviously, uh, see discussions last episode about you know you can always whatever you pick if someone's really determined to attend your convention with covid they will be able to do that because you can forge all of these things the thing you're hoping to do is instill um a level of uh compliance in people who are not trying to be actively malicious but may not have thought properly about uh the safety of everything before going about their day I mean, I was just going to say that I think there is also a difference for things like BristolCon, which are basically as big as like a medium-sized wedding and, and things like potentially FancyCon or EasterCon who might be getting into the high hundreds of members. I think if you're sort of a smaller convention, um, like the, the, the risks and issues are a little bit different. It's still good to have a policy, obviously, but um, I can see why they've gone for a slightly sort of softer, yes, please wear masks and, and so on. I don't know. Is that, I mean, is that an artificial distinction? I just feel there is a difference between, you know, Discon where we're saying, well, you potentially will have 2,000 people and BristleCon where you probably will have 100. Yes, I, I think it's a big difference. I have a very mathematical feeling to this. And although in practice, you probably do hang around with your personal mates, no matter how big the convention you're going to is. I think that's the thing about mandating mask wearing in public areas and when moving around the convention because those are the times that you're likely to have close interaction with people who you're not just generally hanging out with. Ta. So 
Um, I will say, although I do understand where both of you are coming from, and I do understand there's a difference in risk, I do think that most... Com- I find it difficult to imagine a convention where I'm like, yeah, but it's fine if people turn up with COVID, right? Uh, and so I think still I would say use the NHS app because that gives you a good way of saying this person probably doesn't have COVID. And that that seems like that seems like my minimum like requirement from any event is it would be nice if they were just double checking that people don't have the Rona. Yeah, in the in the last festival we went to, they were basically checking everyone for either an up to date NHS app or the text from the NHS say you'd had a lateral flow in the last 24 hours because obviously that's very fakeable as we know but I don't I don't think anyone necessarily would I just say this lasts for as long as free lateral flow tests are available um, at which point this system breaks down a bit it would be a great shame if the government stops allowing free lateral flow tests but at the same time if you are not doing something at your convention to say we would we would actually quite like to have some measure of control over people are arriving at our event not having covid that is the point which i start saying i might just not go then uh, and so i do sort of take your point but if people do go that way of oh well we can't demand this because there are no free lateral flow tests i could be like well that is a great shame but i will stay at home um so i, I do i think i actually um 100 disagree um you know sorry I'm, I'm hoping the government won't do that but if they are stupid enough to do that that will be a shame but it will i still i don't think it will change my mind I mean, I hope they don't, but it does make a difference to me because I can't get an NHS COVID pass. So, I mean, I'm not looking at coming to any UK conventions in the future, but if I do, I can't get one. I'm very much talking about, like, I I think conventions need to think quite carefully about what proof they'll accept from kind of overseas attendees. Um, Sorry, I should have said that. So, So I don't want to rehash the discussion we had last time completely, but my main concern with Discon was that they're they didn't have an exceptions policy. And I feel like you need to have an exceptions policy. <laughs> you need to say, if there's a reason you cannot do this, let's talk. And then you can ha- say, no, you're in, you're out. I think that is also fair, yeah. Because like, like you say, Liz, like if you can't get an NHS COVID pass because like that's not possible, then then I do think like, you know, you've you've been double japped. So, so that should be something that can be sort of coped with. Um, and I kind of understand that that DC as a two thousand person convention may not have the the bandwidth to deal with the exemptions and stuff. But like, if you're a convention that's going to have like a hundred attendees, you you can probably talk to the one or two people for whom there needs to be a conversation. Lastly, on convention COVID nineteen policies, um, Core Flu have updated their website basically along the lines of the Novacon website to say we are going to have a policy, um, but we're waiting a little bit longer uh, before we decide what that policy will be. And um, I heard from Peter Sullivan, who is on the Core Flu committee, that he is now the Core Flu committee member whose job it is to listen to Octothorpe, <laughs> and uh, that that slightly terrifies me. Uh, so hurrah! Thank you to Core Flu. Thank you to Corflu very much for doing this, because I think this is a, a fantastic development. They all should be. This is a brilliant post that every convention should have on its staff. <laughs> are, are they listening to us for advice or in case we say anything, you know, scandalous? <laughs> no, they're, I think they're, they're listening to us so that if we say every convention should do X and if they don't, we'll be grumpy, they can be like, oh no, we should do X. And that, that is a level of responsibility that frankly terrifies me. I mean, I think there's a lot of things you can do that make Octothorpe grumpy and you're never going to avoid them all. 
Because <laughs> you can do things that will make one third of Octothorpe grumpy and two thirds very happy. We've just proved that one. As another podcast that this podcast might or might not be based on said, it's our job to be grumpy about conventions. That's what we do. But I think it's also important to be happy about conventions when conventions do good things. And so I think Corflu has done a good thing. And they're also spooling up their Discord, and that's very exciting. I don't know if that's public, but I saw a sneak peek as um, British fandom's chief Discord opinion haver. Discordian, we might say. Yeah, now I might like to tap into your Discord knowledge for a Discord I might or might not be setting up. Would it be a Discord on which people could have conversations? Oh. <laughs> you can't see listeners cannot see John's look which is the look of of a ah oh, that that bird that looks like that there's a gif <laughs> John is being Send a reaction me. gif right now yes but yes good stuff thank you to Corfu uh for having um basically for 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 putting something on the website i think that is important uh, i note that fantasycon still hasn't segueing neatly into fantasycon which is before our next episode so if you're listening to this episode fantasy con will be before you listen to our next episode unless i mean that is always true but obviously if you're listening to this episode in like 2024 you you definitely missed it um uh but yes so it is on the weekend of the 25th and 26th of september 2021 uh, and Farah Mendelssohn is going to be there representing EastCon 2024, and I think other EastCons may also have people there to chat. Uh, I think there's going to be a shared table. Yeah, I think we have somebody there, but they're on the committee, so they're not exactly going to be chatting. Conversation will have someone there, but they will be on the committee, so they may not be super freaks. They may be having important con-runner-type conversations. But equally, if you see people you think, oh, they're probably involved with an EastCon, just go up and ask them. Never goes wrong. It is fancy con. Is it the first like UK in person con? Mm-hmm. Yes, that was Farah's argument for why the Easter con bids should have a table. I I am really interested to know like what the vibe is. Is it going to be like yes, we have all been you know released from released from COVID prison, or is it actually going to be slightly like I don't know? We're all now a bit cautious. I'm very interested. I mean, obviously, I'm not going. It's it's fantasy con. It's going to be a succession of business lunches. I've never been to a fancy con. I thought that was world fancy con, though. I thought like a UK fancy con was slightly less so. Fire con is also happening before next episode, but um, it's sold out. So uh, none of us can go. Liz is a bit sad that she missed out on tickets. Me and Alison are less sad. No, I'm going. I have a ticket. I'm attending. It's next weekend. Yeah, I don't know if it's sold out or just they closed memberships and I forgot to buy one and it's closed. But never mind. I mean, I'm probably busy anyway, and I would have only gone to the fringe bits, so it's fine. Although they're not the fringe anymore, they're called Bonfire. But I'm not, like, super sad, just I was going to pick one up, and then I forgot. And then it was like, oh, they've closed. Oh. Firecon memberships have closed, and so if you're hearing about Firecon for the first time now, then unfortunately it's too late for you to attend, as Liz found to her peril. But Alison has secured a membership, so she will be our roving Octothorpe reporter. I will. I think most of the stuff remains at a time zone that is is not perfect for me. And I don't know how much hanging around in bars there'll be. That being my primary interest in conventions, even virtual ones. Um, But I'm looking forward to it. And that is next weekend. Yay. Good stuff. And then the beginning of October, we have Octacon, which is virtual. 
Yes, and the last virtual OctaCon was very, very good. Um, we liberally borrowed ideas from it for the first punctuation. So if you attended punctuation and you quite like punctuation, you may quite like OctaCon. Uh, so I'd recommend giving it a look. And we will put a link in the show notes. It is the weekend of the 1st to the 3rd of October 2021. I will be on the Isle of Wight. Uh, we're going to do picks, listeners. Picks is where every episode we talk about a thing we liked that was genre in the last two weeks. Every episode? Yes. We've got this. Oh, right. Because if we're not if we're not able every two weeks to be like, here is a thing in SF that I like, we might want to consider that we need to read more SF that we like. Or watch. Or play. Or watch. Or, or play. But I think if you... What? But what if I read and watch and play lots of stuff, but it's all shit? <laughs> I probably do, but they're not necessarily science fiction thing. Like, I haven't actually read any science fiction books for a while. I think um, it's okay for your picks not to be genre. Obviously prefer genre. Essentially, I kind of go, I don't really want to talk about something that's mediocre in genre over something that's fantastic in non-genre. If your if your choice if your choice is between something crappy and genre and something great and not genre, go I, I'd go for the great. But Liz doesn't want to do picks every two weeks, and I think we probably should do picks every two weeks. I think actually, oh, we can try to do picks every two weeks. But I mean, I think thinking about it, we could always say I have no pick this week because I've been lackadaisical. Yes, or we could always chop them out if we are running long, because despite having basically no topics this week, we have just talked for an hour. Are we going to do picks? So we're going to do like a thing from the last two weeks that we've enjoyed or interacted with and we'd recommend to our listeners, usually genre. But if the thing we've listened to is or the thing we've interacted with is not genre, uh, then we might recommend non-genre things. Listeners prepare to have your horizons broadened. Um, My pick this episode is the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Now, I know Alison has opinions about BBC podcasts, and we'll get to those uh, in a second or two. Um, But the BBC has done a podcast called The Lovecraft Investigations, where they've basically been adapting Lovecraft stories as true crime podcasts, fictional true crime podcasts. And the first one they did was The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is a 10-episode podcast you can listen to on iPlayer, or I've also put the RSS in the show notes. And um, it was my first exposure to the story of The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, and I really enjoyed it. And I've been reading The Thing on the Doorstep and Other Weird Stories by H.P. Lovecraft, which is a Penguin book that I've put links to in the show notes, and that contains the original novel. And so I have read the original novel. I find Lovecraft difficult to read because he never uses one word where 14 would do, uh, and usually uh, it's quite dense. It's quite dense. I can't read it when I'm sleepy because I just fall asleep. Um, I am glad I read it because there are a couple of bits from the radio or the podcast adaptation that I felt were a little bit unclear and make more sense having read the book. Um, but I am glad I listened to the adaptation first, actually. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed the adaptation. The book is fine. Um, I, I think it's probably one of Lovecraft's better stories. I can see why it's one of the ones that kind of caught the public imagination. But at the same time, it is very Lovecraft. Uh, so, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. Uh, and it has all of the racism you'd expect. So hurrah. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. That's a thing I enjoyed this week. When I say I have opinions about podcasts, I think the I prefer in general to listen to unscripted podcasts. And the problem with 
podcasts from big media organisations is that they're never really unscripted or they've, they go through multiple levels of editing for tone, which I think takes the edge off them. Um, but actually, that sounds like doing a true crime version and of a fiction story sounds like exactly the sort of thing that they might be quite good at. So, yeah. Mm. No, it was good. No, and I think... And I think you're right, like, because uh, the other BBC podcast I really liked is 13 Minutes to the Moon, but that is like, mm, and that's nonfiction, but is much more scripted. And I think most of the podcasts I listen to tend to be more discussion unscripted, and the BBC doesn't really do that. Alison, do you have a pick? I do. So um, the Otherwise Award was announced this week. Again, a Chovway Donald Ekpeki has won the Otherwise Award for Ifiyoku, the tale of Imada Young Yuagabon, the author who is actually a Facebook friend of mine um, and who has been nominated for tons of things over the last year or two. But this is the first, first big award that they've won. And I'm pretty sure they're thrilled and I'm very pleased. And um, it's a very interesting story. And when you read it, some there are places in it where if you're reading with a kind of UK or probably American sensibility you go oh there's some editing that didn't happen here this is this is not this doesn't this bit doesn't necessarily fit together with that bit in the way that you would expect and I am telling you that you should ignore the fact that it is not copy edited perfectly because this is a great and interesting novella and I'm very pleased to have read it um it's basically about a community that's kind of like Wakanda in that they've hidden away from the West. Um, well, the rest of the world in a post-apocalyptic situation that's very bad. Um, yeah. And it's good. Really liked it. Hey. Where where can I read it? It's in a an anthology, Dominion, an anthology of speculative fiction for Africa and the from Africa and the African diaspora. Um, which you might have to buy, I'm afraid. It's a thing, but you can buy it. It's easily available on all good electronic bookstores and bookstores near you. And also morally questionable ones. Well, you wouldn't want to buy from one of those, would you? Well, it depends if you've got a Kindle or not. I do buy from the morally <laughs> questionable bookseller because, um, yeah, it's a good place to buy books. Good pick. I will look that up. It looks like it costs somewhere in the region of... It's about seven quid. Cost me about seven quid. Yeah, seven quid for the ebook or about 20 for the physical copy. And I will put links to those in the show notes. Liz, do you have a pick? I have been catching up on season two of Star Trek Lower Decks, which is an animated series about a bunch of ensigns on the USS Cerritos, which is, you know, the, the, the Federation starship that gets all the really crap jobs to do. Um, and it is funny and it is chock full of Star Trek references and it is not afraid to poke some fun at itself and all other Star Trek series. There's some very funny jokes involving a uh, Tom Paris commemorative plate. Um, you got to love Voy. I do love a bit of Voy referencing. Um, yeah, it's, it's basically funny. The voice acting is great. I would say it's a good solid bit of Star Trek and I like that it can kind of coexist alongside discovery which is kind of the more serious cousin as something which is like yeah we're gonna put we're gonna have a funny show and also if you've watched lots of deep space nine there'll be some extra jokes i quite like lower decks i think it's really good every time we finish an episode on amazon prime which is where it is in the uk it recommends i watch futurama and it does kind of feel like a star trekky 
Futurama in a way. I think the humour is a bit more closely aligned with my humour than Futurama was. And yeah, it, it, if you like funny sci-fi, uh, I would I would highly recommend giving it a shot. I think it's a good pick. Yes, I would say it is pretty Futurama, which for me is very high praise. Um, and certainly like some of the background gags and things like that. Um, and getting to Futurama levels. Just needs more songs. I was concerned that I hadn't seen enough Star Trek to enjoy Lower Decks. I don't um, think that it's need too to referential. I mean, I've seen like movies and quite a lot of original Star Trek and various other bits of Star Trek here and there, but I'm not really much into Star Trek. So I don't think. I think if you are heavily into Star Trek, there are a lot of references that will make you happy, but I don't think any of the. I don't think you need to understand the references to enjoy the show because I think most of the actual jokes are not requiring of a, a high level of Star Trek um, expertise. They will be funny any. I think if you know the general tone of most of the Star Trek shows, which tend towards the tend towards the serious end of things, tend to have quite a lot of worthy goals and and moral dilemmas, then I think if you know that's kind of the tone of most of the like live action shows, then you will get why what Lower Decks is doing is funny, even if you don't know the specifics. And just before, two things before we go. Um, firstly, File770 reports that the UK has a new National Film and Science Fiction Museum, um, which uh, James Bacon wrote a review of in File770 and is located in the beautiful Milton Keynes. Um, so if you are located near to Milton Keynes, you could go and have a look um, I say science fiction, it's actually sci-fi. Uh, some people get very annoyed by that sort of thing, but personally, I don't. And then secondly, I texted my wife to say, should I have heard of Heathers? And she said, only if you're a Gen Xer. So hello, Liz and Alison, committed <laughs> Gen Xers. I'm the young one. I'm still the young one. It may be. I mean, I'm I'm slightly too old to be a Gen Xer, but it's, I mean, I'm clearly Gen X because I'm too young to be a baby boomer, but I am I, I just in the gap between those two. Um, but it is, it is kind of quintessential Gen X movie, yes. So if you want to understand how Gen X feels, Heathers is a good movie to understand that. And I would like to say I'm not in fact Gen X. I am an elder millennial, John. <laughs> She wears a she wears a cape and a hood, listeners, and she chants chants eldritch things. I think I'm basically a millennial. I'm just a millennial, but less f***ed over than some of the later ones. Basically, <laughs> I don't really believe in generations. And that was the fortieth episode of the Octothought podcast. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. What will you be doing on the Isle of Wight, John? I'm going on holiday with my parents. And we're going to have a mostly outdoor holiday. And it's quite well timed because I'm moving away from Southampton. And so um, exploring the Isle of Wight properly before we go is something that is good. And for those who are space nerds, which may have some overlap with science fiction nerds, um, the Isle of Wight is where the British rocket program, when it existed, was based. And so you can go and see the old launch sites and stuff like that. And so that is one of the things I would be doing. Oh, I thought it was based in Woomera. Um, so 
the actual launch sites for the for the Black Arrow. Black Arrow is the Needles, which is in the Isle of Wight. What what did we launch for? Mm. Well, because I don't know. It might be that they also launched from Rumora. Obviously, uh, Rumora is harder to get to uh, from the Isle of Wight than uh, the Isle of Wight, uh, being as it is in Australia. But Alison has committed to go there on her guff trip so she can report back. There was a test launch. I mean, I... it may well be. It may well be that there were there were nuclear tests at Rumora. I didn't think Black Knight. It was tested at at the Needles, but they were they were launched in Australia. They were launched at Woomera. I mean, I, I, I'm like, I was like, oh, really? Not Woomera? Let me um, let me give you a link. So the rockets were um. They were obviously. Not, I think we'd know if they'd been launched from the UK. I don't think. Don't think we've ever launched any, and people will know. Yeah, but they we did launch ones from the UK. It's just that they were not where the satellites were launched from. But there were rocket launches from from the Needles. It's just that they didn't have payload because that's how you test a rocket. You launch it and see if it blows up, and you hope it doesn't. The Black Arrow was launched from Woomera. If it's not too much trouble, they were live tested. Can we conclude a podcast and possibly argue over rocket launches at a later date? Yeah. How do you live test a rocket without launching the rocket? <laughs> no, we cannot. No rocket, no rockets ever left the launch pad at tie down, but was oh, shipped to okay. Woomera in South Australia for launch. That's much less exciting. I was like, really? And as they say, Britain is the only country in the world to have developed a successful satellite launch, but never actually, but then abandoned it. Because that's a very British thing to do. <laughs> but this was why I was determined to go and see Woomera at, as part of my guff trip. I mean, I, I was... Woomera is significantly harder to get to than the Isle of Wight. Not on a virtual trip, it's not. In fact, it might be easier to get to on a virtual trip. I don't know how easy the Isle of Wight is to do virtually because they haven't got electricity or the internet yet. Anyway, go to the Isle of Wight. I love the bit about we were in the Isle of Wight, so please keep as much of that in as you can. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod and Competech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. This podcast will end at the beep. Beep. <laughs>